0: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go with the Home Team, Country
1: Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a Cannon deal. Nobody. And now... Here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And hey, welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau. Also presented by Cannon Ford Startle. Charlie, you know, listening back to that open by Crowder, you know, Jason Crowder did our opening for us, and he really gets excited with nobody beats a Cannon deal. No, nobody. 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 Kind of remind me of that Sam Elliott movie, The Hero. Did you see that 2017? And he does the voiceovers. Bullseye barbecue sauce. you
0: it, think we could get Sam Elliott to do a voiceover for us? That would be. I'm a Sam Elliott guy. I think he's underrated. Sam Elliott? He was the guy at the uh, end of Great Lebowski, right? The dude abides. Yeah,
1: the dude abides. Of course, I don't think you can talk about Sam Elliott without Roadhouse. Uh, but we were soldiers. We were he soldiers. played
0: Basil Plumley, Sergeant Major Basil Plumley in that movie. Great character.
1: He was also in Butch Casty and the Sundance Kid. That was before my time, but I don't think you can really overstate about how good Sam Elliott
0: was. So we need, or, or he is. He's not dead, is he? he's close. Oh. I mean, I think he's getting well, on up there. Well, he's still here. we need a voiceover.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he's not picking out caskets yet, but, I mean, he's he's probably pretty close. We're probably going to have to get on that, yeah. Like you said, you're going to have to get on that voiceover pretty quick if we're going to get him. He was in Prancer. I don't remember that one. Lifeguard. No, I don't remember that one. He was in Gettysburg.
0: Yes, he played General John Buford in Gettysburg, as a matter of fact. Bet you didn't know that. I know, no, I didn't. We could do a complete podcast on that, but I will spare you. We Were Soldiers, 2002, which was a really good movie. The Contender. I detect, by the way, that you're not wanting to talk
1: about a football game. Hey, Tombstone, 1993. That was a good movie. Still see that all the time. A Star is Born. Did you see that one? The latest Star is Born. I missed that one. He was the brother. You know, Bradley Cooper, he was the singer. You know, that
0: football game's not going to go away.
1: Okay. All right, let's talk about it. Kentucky, Mississippi State. Um, Charlie, I don't know. We're going to have five big things this week. I, don't, I could come up with five good things. I look back at that game, and I look at maybe the second offensive drive we had. We had like a first and ten. We had moved the football down. We had the ball to the Kentucky 30-yard line, and it started to rain a little bit. Ball got a little wet, had a bad snap, ended up with like second down and 16, and then we had a drop pass. You end up trying to kick the field goal. It's short. It's a 56-yarder. We had a couple penalties in there, and I thought from right there, We could have just shut the lights off and gone to the house.
0: Well, I'm going to be positive because that's what I am by nature, as you well know, as has been well documented on this show. The glass is 56% full. It's 50% of capacity. So if you look at it, let's, let's give credit where it's due. Our defense was really good. And we sat here about three or four weeks ago thinking both on the air and especially off of it that our defense was going to be historically bad. And we're talking Ron Cooper, and whatever that guy that came from USC. <laughs> How dare you bring up Peter Sermon? That guy must.
1: There's some guys out there that must interview extremely well. Peter must. Ex, it, it must. And I, from what I understand, he's a good guy. I mean, he but, but he must interview extremely,
0: extremely well. well like Kevin Sumlin. Well, yeah. now come on. I kind of liked Kevin Sumlin. You didn't like Sumlin? No. I didn't think Kevin. That Sumlin. guy's a business genius. Oh yeah. I mean Because he's getting paid a lot of money not to coach football. Falls upwards. That's like Charlie Weiss. I mean, makes more money not coaching than he does. But I well, guess what? He went to Arizona, Arizona State. I I, I lose track when we go to the Pac twelve, right?
1: Oh, you're like ESPN, you can't get the Arizona, Arizona State right No, you can't I get don't. state
0: old Miss ride. right. Well look, once you cross the river, I'm if you're not in the league, I'm not interested. But in any event, getting back to that, our defense was very good. Zach Arnett's done an outstanding job. And I go back and say this too, the thing that is so impressive about Zach Arnett is I still don't believe the talent level is anywhere near and the experience level is anywhere near where you want it to be. But the guy's plugging holes, he's making things happen. And you got you look, you punted well. Does that count?
1: Yeah, it does. So what you're saying is is Zach Arnett has been a good mask, which was a nineteen eighty five movie by Sam Elliott. Bullseye barbecue sauce. Nobody beats a cannon duel. Nobody <laughs> Crowder, we love him. Here's the thing: when I look at when I when I think about everybody's talking about KJ Costello, and later in the show today we're going to talk with Luke Falk, who was a quarterback under Mike Leach for four seasons at Washington State. began his career as a walk on, and then became All Pac-12, phenomenal quarterback. Spent three years uh, in the NFL, and here's what I want to ask. Luke Falk, when you survey the field in a three-man rush and dropping eight, what's your thought process? Because right now it just gives the appearance that K.J. Costello is a guy that has some shark swimming in his head when he drops back to pass. And a lot of that may be, and I'm just curious – Maybe he's being flushed from the pocket a little bit quicker than he wants to. He's trying to figure out a system that he doesn't understand. It's like a shark
0: swimming in his head. He's got defensive tackles swimming in his headgear. That's <laughs> part of the problem. <laughs> I mean, Look, when you can't block three with five, you're not going to win. I don't care if they lay down in the secondary. Your chances go down dramatically.
1: And here's the thing, just being around Mason Miller, uh, Mason Miller is a good offensive line coach. He is a very well-respected, very good offensive line coach. And you look at the, the lines they had at Washington State over the last three, four years. Here's what I keep coming back to, and I'm not being an apologist right here. I talked to several people this week with Washington State ties, and they all said the same thing. Listen, we said the exact same thing in year one. Yes, this is an offense that is easy to pick up if you're a quarterback or a wide receiver, but it's very tough for offensive linemen because of the splits. And you ask yourself the question, well, why do you have such wide splits? Well, you have to because you don't have a back alongside to help chip on anybody coming from the edge. You can set the edge really quick, bring them in. That's why you have to have the wide splits. You didn't have spring practice. To me, as a wide receiver and a quarterback, those are things you can work on in one-on-one. You can go outside and and throw balls all day long on your own. But as an offensive lineman, you don't have the ability to do that other than a Zoom call and saying, hey, guys, this is what you need to do because you can't practice one-on-one with five blocking three.
0: I think one of the mistakes that I know I have made over the years too in evaluating offensive line play is I think of it as just being a physical issue. Be bigger and stronger and push harder on the guy who's pushing on you. But there's a lot, a lot of mental work that goes into being offensive lineman. It's not – you go back to the old high school systems where it's just you block the guy who's across from you. That's not it. That's not it at all anymore. And a lot of the issues that we're having are just mental. They're just understanding where to be, and the only way you get through that is to do it.
1: And I go back to the adage that I said against LSU. Just reach out and grab them. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna call offensive holding. Okay, you mentioned Zach Arnett and the defense getting ready, and we'll feature Texas A&M later in the show. But you kind of look back and who we played so far. Miles Brennan was not solid in that first week. We kind of had him helter skelter. Week two, Felipe Franks, not a big time passing quarterback. Last week, Kentucky was abysmal throwing the football. Now I think a lot of that has to do with what we're doing is the confusion. Kellen Mond has shown the propensity in the previous years to have trouble with pressure. Now, he's been good over the past couple of weeks. So you ask yourself the question, are we about to start getting into some quarterbacks that can really spread it
0: around? That's part of the challenge. We thought we would see with Terry Wilson at Kentucky was the idea that you had a guy who could run, he could throw. I think Mond brings that, but the other thing that he brings, and I've never been a huge Kellen Mond fan But I think the thing that you just cannot underrate in this league is the value of having been there, the value of having done it. And now you've got a guy who's been around who's done it, and he has I think what people at least think is a big win over Florida. I'm still not entirely sure what I think about Florida. I'm not entirely sure if this Texas A&M team is the one that struggled to beat Vanderbilt and they got beat by Alabama or the one that looked pretty good a week ago. I'm not sure. But here's what I do know. You've got an experienced quarterback, and that matters.
1: Oh, the show today – Luke Falk, as we said, the quarterback at Washington State, 2014 to 2017, played under Mike Leach, trying to get a little bit of insight of being a quarterback in the system. Jackie Sherrill, of course, who coached at Washington State, and then a year before he went to Pitt, right? Coast a year at Washington State before he went to Pitt. And I think he was like, what, three and nine? Maybe? Yeah, it wasn't very good. But of course, he was what, the defensive coordinator at Pitt under Johnny Majors? Johnny Majors went to Tennessee. They got Jackie back to Pittsburgh. I mean, he tutored Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett.
0: He had, what, three 11 win seasons at Pitt? Something yeah, like that? pretty solid. You know, Tony Dorsett was originally Tony Dorsett.
1: <laughs> did you know that? Yeah, absolutely. I interviewed and I have some tapes. I still taped that interview with Johnny Majors. He came to the town, you know, a couple of years ago. And Charlie Weatherly, who longtime alumni association, he said, "Hey, you may want to get some audio with Johnny Majors." And I did. And he filibustered me for like three hours, okay. And I had to take him all over town. It was great. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And of course, he passed away in the past year, but. He had some real colorful things to say, especially about the <laughs> athletic director at uh, at Tennessee. But anyway, I'd never play those tapes. Oh, man, but they're beautiful. So Jackie Sherrill will join us, coach at A&M and Mississippi State. Still lives out in Wimberley, Texas. He'll join us later in the show. And then Charlie and I will get you ready, give you a preview for Mississippi State and Texas A&M. It's a 3 o'clock kick at Davis Wade Stadium on Saturday. Once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Charlie, you do a lot of business in the insurance world. i tell you what, you just can't beat the service. When something goes awry, you want someone. And that's why you choose insurance. When something bad happens... You want to make sure that you're taken care of, that somebody that you have a relationship with, you're not going through the Internet, you're not going through the phone, you want somebody boots on the ground telling you, hey, this is going to be all right, make sure that you're taken care of. And, Charlie, there's not anybody better at that than Farm Bureau.
0: No, they're absolutely outstanding. And I think the thing that people underrate is the value of service. A lot of times we shop rates. Their rates are really good. But that service that you're buying really matters on the back end, too.
1: When we come back, we'll talk to Luke Falk, the quarterback at Washington State from 2014 to 2017. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield getting you ready for the Bulldogs and the Aggies on Saturday at Davis Wade Stadium at 3 o'clock. Time now for our guest line segment brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi. They're located on Highway 49 in Florence. Cooper's Country Meat Packers. Henry Cooper spent some time with Henry at the first football game this year. Good Mississippi State people, good Mississippians as well, just really good people, and they've got a great, great product that they produce. Country Pleasing, pick up the original. Hey, I went to the Walmart Neighborhood Market here in Startwell. just ran by after work one day. They've got a big old case, and it's nothing but Country Pleasing sausage the original, jalapeno cheddar. They've got the pork and pineapple, the green onion, It's all great. If you're getting ready, it's almost that time for red beans and rice. It's almost that time for some good gumbo. So throw some of that country-pleasing sausage in what you've got going on. And so our guest line segment brought to you each week by Country-Pleasing Sausage. So let's go to the phones where Luke Falk will join us as Luke Falk was a quarterback at Washington State 2014 to 2017. And Luke, we appreciate you joining us to talk a little bit about being a quarterback for Mike Leach.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Luke, looking back at kind of how you got your career going in college, I mean, you were committed to to Cornell, and then you end up at Washington State. What was the recruitment like, and what was the draw of going to Washington State to play for Mike Leach?
2: Yeah, just uh, strange events happened. Um, the head coach for Cornell left for the CFL, and uh, Coach Mealy, who's your guys' running backs coach now, really pushed hard for me to – go walk on up there. I went up, had an official recruiting trip, and uh, Coach Leach said that I'd have a fair opportunity to compete with the the guy on scholarship. and I believed him and went up on campus, and and, uh, he was true to his word.
0: A lot of people in Mississippi, of course, we've always known about Mike Leach. We, I guess, drew uh, closer to watching Washington State back in 2018 when Gardner Minshew, a Mississippi kid, ends Mm -hmm. up out on the West Coast playing. And I think a lot of people, when Mike Leach came to Mississippi State, they had this idea of, hey, there's a graduate transfer. Mike Leach can win with graduate transfers. We here at Mississippi State are getting one in KJ Costello, so everything will be just like Mike Leach in 2018. I'm interested in the period of time when you were there, where, you know, in You win nine games, eight games, nine games. You won a lot of games in three years. Kind of Mm -hmm. as opposed to being a graduate transfer where you don't have as much time to develop, what was it like growing up in the system, and how, if all, did that help you become a better quarterback as you progressed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's unrealistic to have those expectations on this team. I mean, they haven't had a spring ball. And uh, for the time it took us at Washington State, it took us three years before we started winning those games so I think it helped starting out in the offense and uh, that's all you knew in college KJ's coming from you know Stanford and having different complete different terminology and seeing the field differently and and I think it helps as a young guy when you know the expectations that coach Leach has for you and how he coaches and just kind of getting the feel for his play calls and things like that and, you know I was fortunate enough to play you know a lot of football games with them and and gotten a rhythm with them but I think You give them a couple years, you give this, you know, staff, uh, they're going to be able to build a good culture down there. I just think this year it's tough with uh, the circumstances, but I think they're going to do real well. I think uh, Coach Leach has won everywhere he goes, and I don't see it being any different down there.
1: Talking to Luke Falk, three-year starter for Mike Leach at Washington State. Luke, you know, some of the terminologies that you use as a quarterback, but also sometimes in a press conference, we're having to understand the terminology you may use and a lot of different things, as you can imagine with Coach Leach. But one of the, one of the things he, ha- he talks about with quarterbacks is he has to get his eyes right. What does he mean by that of getting your eyes right in a certain play?
2: Yeah, I mean, his whole offense, you know there's certain offenses that are going to look at the defense and what they're doing that's not his focus his focus is on reading space and where our players are going to be so it's just kind of adjusting from having uh, a mindset on what the defense is doing rather and then focusing and shifting it on where our guys are and they're going to be in space this whole deal is well what if uh, a guy fell down on defense what coverage is that so he just wants us to read pure progression and, and read the space on the field. And that takes time for some guys when they come from an offense that, you know, puts a lot of stress and emphasis on what the defense is doing. Coach Leach kinda of almost has the John Wooden approach where it doesn't matter what they're doing, we're gonna we're gonna focus on what we're doing. One
0: of the things that we have seen, Mississippi State open with L S U, they played a lot of band defense and the crossing routes and even throwing over the top had a lot of success past two weeks we've faced defenses that have gone to this idea of rush three drop eight keep everything underneath and all of a sudden because the offense has had two rough weeks there is this idea that all a defensive coordinator has to do is send the play call out there for we're going to drop eight guys and you can completely stifle this Mississippi State offense I'm curious number one is there something about that approach, that zone defense, that causes more problems for this offense? And number two, is it something that you experienced uh, in your time at Washington State?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we struggled against Washington when they rushed three, dropped eight, but really is because they got pressure with three. So I think there's there's no issue when, when they rush three and drop eight as long as you got time to be able to dissect what they're doing. Now, if they're able to get pressure with, uh, with only the three, then you're going to have issues. Any offense is going to have issues, but I don't, I think they'll, they'll sure that up. I mean, like you guys got a great O line coach and I think, uh, it's a copycat league. So you guys are going to see it a lot more, but I think they'll be able to adjust to it. It's just, uh, you know, the offense is young right now. The team, team hasn't had an opportunity to really mesh together in that sense. So I think it just it's going to take some time. And then what always helps too is when, the, when you get a quarterback in there, and when K.J. starts getting more comfortable with the offense, checking with some runs and, and uh, making the defense a little more honest.
1: Talking with Luke Falk, uh, quarterback at Washington State from Mike Leach. You mentioned the offensive line. You mentioned getting pressure with a three-man front, and that's one of the things we faced this past weekend with Kentucky. They had some success. One of the things about uh, this style of offense is the splits of the offensive line, and sometimes we talk so much about quarterbacks and wide receivers getting used to this offense. How tough is it for an offensive lineman to go from pretty much a t- traditional splits to now the wide splits?
2: Yeah, I would say that'd be pretty tough, um, you know. But I think they got a great coach that's going to coach them up, and uh, I think after a while they're going to get used to it, and uh, really really like it better than the old traditional way of doing things but uh you know if you look at wsu the last two years their offensive line was was incredible you know coach miller does a great job and i think he's just going to bring that mentality down there it's just it's just going to take time i think when you come into a new program you're they're rebuilding they're trying to get the culture they want so uh people are just patient you know i think they'll figure it out Hopefully hopefully this year, but I think here in the next couple of years, you guys are going to have a good thing rolling down.
0: You mentioned the idea of checking into the run. One of the discussions that we've been having is sometimes with the quarterback, the idea of checking down on the pass to a, a running back. And we've heard some people say, well, they're checking down too quick. And we've heard some people say, well, you got to wait longer to check down. What is it that goes into the decision-making of as a quarterback in this offense, when you look downfield and you say, all right, I'm putting it in the running back's hands?
2: Well, I think you just got to get a feel for it. I mean, uh, you feel the defenders dropping out of there or where they're flowing with the certain type of play call that you've got. And, uh, you know, with this offense, it's a one through five progression. So if one through four aren't open, then the fits your running back, and then you check it down to them. So I think if you're going through your progression too fast, it's not going to sequence out. In, in timing, but if you're within rhythm and and doing going through your reads, you know Coach Leach always says reads are sacred. I think if you're if you're sticking true to your reads and seeing the field well, then you'll get to the running back in uh, good timing. I think that was one thing that Gardner did real well in 2018. Is he utilized uh, the running back a lot, and he did it in the right timing.
0: One of the things that we've seen a couple of times in the past few ball games as well is we're used to these quarterbacks who kind of run first throw second or at least on a 50-50 basis we've seen Mm -hmm. quarterbacks in this offense look as if they have a lane to run but go ahead and elect to throw or stand in there is that a philosophy that's part of the offense or is that an individual quarterback decision when I pull it down and elect
2: to take off I think it's individual I mean if you got a running lane you can sure take it uh I definitely think people are more pass conscious when they're playing quarterback for Coach Leach just because uh usually there are so many guys that are open and you're going to have much more success doing that than you are running but uh you know I don't think there's anything holding the guy back from if he has Lane going off and and uh and getting some yards on it
1: Luke, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Before we let you go, we're talking to Luke Falk, uh, Washington State quarterback, 2014 to 2017. A lot of success at Washington State. We've talked about X's and O's, but Mike Leach is a coach. You have different kinds of coaches, different styles. You have players, coaches. You have guys that are tough on you. You've heard all these co- these stories about Mike Leach, and we see him in the press conferences. But what's it like as a quarterback learning every day under Mike Leach? Is it is he kind of laid back? Is it... Is he a stickler? Is everything you know methodical? What's it like being a quarterback under Mike Leach?
2: Oh, I'd say it's all of the above. I mean, you got days where it's laid back, he's talking about uh his book Geronimo or things like that, talking about pirate stuff, and then you got other days where, you know, he's definitely on your you know, pardon my language, but on your ass a little bit more and uh you know, I think he demands a lot from his players and if you're if you're doing what's ass then uh you know, he's, he's pretty easy going in that sense. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not meeting his expectations, he's sure going to let you know about it. I think the greatest thing about coach Leach is you always know what's on his mind. You always know how he feels, always know how he thinks. And, uh, I think that's one of the best things you can have in a coach. You always know where you stand with him And, and, uh, that's what you get out of coach Leach.
1: I have to say, he's the first person I've seen. And listen, growing up in Mississippi, you see some some things with the use of Copenhagen. But he's the first time. This is the first <laughs> the first time I've ever seen a guy put a dip in the top and the, the his lower lip at the same time.
2: Yeah, he'll do the Ring of Fire. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's one thing I will say in film. He's always got a big mess back there with his hands going with the Copenhagen and just spitting all the time. And so he he's one of a kind.
1: Hey, Luke, we appreciate you joining us, man. Thank you.
2: All right. Thanks, guys.
1: And that's Luke Falk, quarterback at Washington State,
0: 2014 to 2017. Charlie, he was good. Oh, yeah. that guy. What's cool about Luke Falk is the fact that he walked on. I mean, this is a guy who was going to Cornell. And play for Kent Austin. Yeah, the old uh, – Now, Kent Austin was, what, quarterback at Ole Miss, offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, was a coach in the Canadian Football League. Yeah. He's been around. But Ken Austin is from Nashville,
1: I think. Brentwood? Yeah, he's from Brentwood. And then, Ken, of course, came to Ole Miss. But, no, he was going to play for Ken Austin. But uh, but Luke Falk kind of gives you some insight. And that's you know where he
0: is now, don't you?
1: Where's that? Liberty. wonder if he's coached from the hospital
0: bed for a game. wonder if <laughs> Nick Saban will be doing that this weekend. Wow. If there's a way. There is a precedent. <laughs> you remember Bobby Valentine
1: getting kicked out of the Mets game you know, what, 20 years ago, and then putting a mustache <laughs> on. Mustache on. <laughs> That'll be Nick will be a, a manager on the sideline with a with a mustache.
0: You think Nick Saban would ever go so far as like shave his head? <laughs> that, that's that's where he draws the line, right?
1: <laughs> oh, so that's Luke Falk and that interview. Brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And when we come back, we'll talk to Jackie Sherrill, the former head coach at Mississippi State, right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Just talked to Luke Falk a moment ago, former quarterback at Washington State, and now we get ready to talk to one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State. Jackie Sherrill head coach for the Bulldogs 1991 to 2003 was a head coach at Texas A&M also spent a year out at Washington State and this is brought to you by Cannon Ford of startwell Cannon Ford nobody beats a Cannon deal we talked about it nobody beats a Cannon deal nobody uh, Chris Keene and the gang out there if you're looking for a new or used car perfect place to go with great service Chris a good bulldog, great guy. I've known Chris all my entire life. You know, Chris was my little league baseball coach for like seven years. So he's to blame. He is to blame for me not being in the big leagues and playing alongside and coaching alongside Marcus Thames, our good buddy. You know, it's a Marcus hitting coach for the Yankees. Looks like he was interviewed a couple of days ago, maybe the report came out for the manager job of the Tigers, that would be pretty cool. Of course, I love watching the Yankees simply because I have a tie. I don't know if I could do that with the Tigers.
0: There wouldn't be many things that could get me to wear a Tigers hat, but uh, I think Marcus Tim's going there. Mike could push me over the edge.
1: No doubt. So, Chris Keene, the greatest Little League baseball coach of all time, general manager at Cannon Ford of Startville. So, go by if you need service, if you need the body shop, or just a new or used car, Cannon Ford of Startville. And let's go to the phones where the former head coach of the Bulldogs and the Texas A&M Aggies, Jackie Sherrill, joins us. Coach, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. How are things out in Wimberley, Texas?
3: Well, it's kind of like everywhere else. We're trying to navigate through social distancing and making sure that we circumvent you know, coming down with COVID-19 somehow
1: coach, every time we played Texas A&M, you know, before A&M joined the league, we think back to that game played in Shreveport when we played in the snow. I mean, looking back, it's hard to believe it's been, what, 20 years now, and looking back at that night, just how surreal was it to play a football game in five inches of snow in Shreveport, Louisiana?
3: Well, it's never happened before, and I don't know if it'll ever happen again, and you know, the, they were not prepared. I'm talking about the ground crew, but we lucked out in having the Mountain West official. And they go through that all the time, and it didn't bother them a lick. They just went out there and spotted the ball, regardless if it was on an interest snow or not. Uh, the ground crew had a little, what they call a cleaner for artificial turf, but it wasn't very wide. And they would go through and try to keep the lines. And finally, they just gave up and (laughs) went into the second half and didn't worry about it. Uh, You know, during the game, there were a couple of things that were uh, not funny at the time. They are funny now, but we scored right before the half. Uh, Only a few seconds left in the half. And I tell our kicker to squib kick. So, and I don't know what prompted him but anyway he laid the ball down flat on the tee and he misses the ball and the ball just rolls you know 10 yards and of course A&M gets it and they score well you know going into halftime you know everybody around the world wanted to know who that dumb ass head coach was <laughs> and, uh, and tried an onside kick but that's the one that was really upset was was Joe Lee He he wasn't very happy.
0: (laughs) You know, you talk about the kicking game. Of course, I don't know that I've ever seen a blocked extra point play such a factor in the end of a ball game. The one that Julius Griffith runs back because it saves us from having to kick.
3: Absolutely. And not only that, you know, the thing you have to give credit to uh, were the players. You know, the players, regardless of the conditions, regardless of, you know, the score, uh, the players kept playing But the outcome of the game really was because the head coach of A&M, R.C. Slocum, was greedy. They had the game won. All they had to do is continue to give the ball to uh, Toombs. We couldn't stop him. And, you know, for one reason or the other, wanted to score more points. And he told the offensive coordinator to throw the football. And the offensive coordinator said, "Wait a minute, are you are you saying to throw the ball? Yeah, you know, and in that weather, and that's when we we were able to intercept it, and we turned it around the momentum, and you know the momentum just kept piling on our, our our direction, and, and our quarterback made a great run uh, to score."
0: Coach, I think back to when Texas A and M came into the Southeastern Conference. They came in with Missouri. Missouri seemed a little bit ho-hum about it, but Texas A&M looked as proud as any school I've ever seen to be coming into this league. I joked at the time, though, that if people understood the resources that Texas A&M had, we'd have never let them in the league. I kind of expected them to really kind of race to the top, and it's been a, a slower progression. Kind of, one, where do you see A&M and their fit in the league, and two, where do you see them and their progression to be a regular contender in the league?
3: Well, uh, one, you got to understand Missouri was trying to get into the Big Ten for years. And matter of fact, they had positioned themselves to probably be invited. The, the old conference of the Big 12, which still is with the Nebraska in it, they did not share in the revenue. Texas took a large majority of the revenue based on the number of TV games they had compared to the other people in the league. In Nebraska, Tom Osborne, in the conference meeting, said, "We deserve the right, we've earned the right, and deserve the right to share. And the next year, they did not share, so Tom Osborne picked up the phone and called the Big Ten. At that time, the Big Ten was talking to Missouri, as one of their expansion teams. When Osborne called, and it was Nebraska, uh, the Big Ten took Nebraska instead of Missouri. So that left Missouri trying to find a home, and they found a home in the SEC. Now, is Missouri a better fit for the Big Ten? Uh, Yes, they are. Uh, Now, and then here comes A&M, and years ago, There were 16 teams planned for the SEC. There were going to be eight and eight on the west, eight on the east. And the two teams on the west side was going to be Texas, Texas A&M. Well, the governor of Texas, which was a graduate of of Baylor, said, you can't take Texas or Texas A&M unless you take Baylor and Texas Tech. When that happened, they dropped the feeling they'd get Texas or Texas A&M. And then when the expansion came up with with Texas, the Pac-12 was going to expand to 16 teams. And that would have included Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, possible Oklahoma State, and Colorado. But they were going to have 16 teams in the Pac-12. But that would give them the footprint from the Pacific all the way to the Mississippi River. Well, at that time... A&M, and thank goodness for Coach Stallings being on the board at Texas a and he kind of put the, the quietus to it, and it didn't happen. So when that didn't happen, AM went to the SEC, but Commissioner Slive didn't push it out. But the SEC courted a and a lot harder than AM courted the SEC because of the wealth it's the wealthiest university in the in the SEC and it's the largest by you know, the population are, of the students would go Texas A and M and then Florida. But the top two schools in the country enrollment wise is Texas A and M. in central Florida. Then then you come back with the endowment, then you come back with a a membership, that's the American a society of american universities there's only uh, 4 Missouri Florida Vanderbilt and Texas A&M then you come back with the fan base they have the largest fan base so when you throw that in and then you also understand that they brought in 40% of the television package so when A&M agreed the one that was doing the most hollering and jumping up and down was Commissioner Slive, because it increased the television package by 40% for the SEC. So having Texas A&M has been a huge benefit for the SEC. Now, has it been a benefit for AM? Yes, it has, because it gave AM instant credibility uh, of the SEC. And then all of a sudden, you have, when they enlarged the stadium, uh, of over 600 million dollars they raised i want to say they raised it could have been 700 million they they raised 500 million in one month and there's not many universities including alabama uh, or tennessee could raise that amount of money in one month so it's been a win-win for both i think they're still they're going to compete this year but they're still a year away from being up in the top three or four period. Now, if they continue to play, or mine does, then they may end up in the top uh, three or four in the conference this year.
0: Coach, you talk about developing a program. You know, you've recruited all over the country. I'm curious, what is the state of high school football in Texas right now?
3: Uh, It's outstanding, and it will be. Uh, You know, the COVID uh, has not slowed down the state of Texas like it has slowed down California or, or other states. And so football in Texas is still being played as normal. The players in Texas, because the number of players or students that are playing, you have a, quite a few players that are Division One that are four- and five-star recruits. But it goes back to the grade school. You know the state of Texas, uh, population-wise. When you go around the country, you have you know Texas, Florida, Georgia, and those are always going to be the top three. And and you have California because of the number of people. But the SEC and most teams around that play college football have players from the SEC.
1: Coach. We saw a picture a couple of weeks ago about a guy that uh, played here in the early 1990s, uh, came out and saw you, a guy by the name of Michael Davis. First of all, Michael Davis looks like he could play today, but I know you're a players coach. How excited do you get when former players reach out or come out to see you?
3: Well, as a coach, you know your reward is not necessarily how many games you win. Your reward comes years later of how many former players that actually you had an impact on their life uh, that they still have the same feelings for you. Now I can say this: there were plenty of times when my former players didn't like me. But you know, the issue is kind of like raising your child. You're the parent; they are the child. And as a coach, you are the coach, and they are the player. And but years later, they understand that, and it and it's rewarding to me. But the thing I I cherish more than anything is how the players have developed into parents, husbands, business people, or whatever profession. Now, talking about Michael Davis, uh, you know, when he went into the Highway Patrol uh, and went through their camp, there were bets how long he would last, and there were bets that he wouldn't finish going through the camp. And so they, they got after Michael pretty hard, but you know, he has so many, had so many things inside. He he wasn't going to let him you know, make him leave.
1: Coach, it's always great to talk with you. Hey, I heard a story about Michael Davis one time. There's a guy speeding on highway 20 and he was just barreling through. And so Michael Davis pulls him over and the guy was like, man, are you the Michael Davis that was running back at Mississippi state? And he says, I, I am. And he says, i tell you what, I always enjoy watching you play is there any way I can get your autograph? And he says, don't worry, you're about to get it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I got it. Uh, Yeah, that's true. But just if you got pulled over by Michael, you know, the term yes, sir, would be spouting out of his mouth real quick.
1: Absolutely. Coach, it's always great to talk with you. Look forward to seeing you the next time you're in town.
3: Oh, yes. And, Bart, tell everybody hello.
1: Last year, Will, thanks for joining us, Coach, and that's Coach Jackie Sherrill talking about Mississippi State and Texas A&M, a little snowball, a little Big 12 history, Texas A&M history. You always learn a lot when you talk to the good old legend Jackie Sherrill. Back with a final word. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And hey, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Final segment as we get you ready for Mississippi State and Texas A&M Saturday at three o'clock. It's been moved to the to ESPN. Charlie, looking at this game, you know Texas A&M, a team that comes in, they they were blown out by Alabama. They were in that game in Tuscaloosa for a while. Really struggled with Vanderbilt in week one. You wonder how much they were saving for the Alabama game because you just wonder. And then last week against Florida, neither team punted in the first half of that game. They were just up and down the field. There was no defense to be seen in the first half of that game. They're without one of their top wide receivers, Caleb Chapman, out after suffering a knee injury last week against Florida. When you look at last year's wide receiver core compared to right now, they're down six receivers from last year to this year. They lost three due to graduation and some injuries. So what Kellen Mond has been able to do, to be honest with you, is really spectacular. I mean, he's been a different quarterback. And this week, now, all of a sudden, everybody talks about the passing game. But here's what I worry about with Texas A&M. This is going to be the first time Isaiah Spiller, the running back for Texas A&M, this is really the first time you see that dual threat that we have to contend with.
0: Yeah, Spiller going over 100 yards a game, rushing the football. He'll be the best running back you've seen. I think you can make a good argument that Bond will be the best quarterback you've seen. And so defensively, it's going to present a challenge I think that we haven't had to deal with. Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator Texas
1: A&M. So here's my thought. Texas A&M pretty much a 4-2-5 under Mike Elko. Very similar to what Bo Pelini ran, a four-man front. This is going to be the second four-man front we've seen this year traditionally. Now, they may come out with some odd-man fronts. But Kentucky and Arkansas, that's who they are. And now if you believe in and are thinking about the old rushing three and dropping back eight in the pass coverage, that really doesn't fit their mold if they come out and try to
0: do that. It doesn't. And you go back to that question that we so often ask of how much as a defensive coordinator do you want to be you and how much do you want to change to, to match the offense – I expect Texas A&M just to come out and try to be themselves. And if you look at it defensively for Texas A&M right now, if you're an A&M fan, you really want to seize on that 12 points you held Vanderbilt to (laughs) because the past two weeks haven't been very good, giving up 52 to Alabama, giving up 38 to Florida. But those are two teams who have scored a lot of points every time they've played. So it's really tough to tell where they are on the defensive side right now.
1: And one of the things that's tough to tell is kind of what offense is going to show up for Mississippi State. The question becomes who's going to start at quarterback, K.J. Costello, the transfer from Stanford, Will Rogers, a true freshman, both got playing time this past week against Kentucky. Here's my observation, and this is 10,000 feet, Nana warrior quarterback, <laughs> observation of K.J. Costello. K.J. looks like a guy right now who's just lost some confidence, who the Rick and Keel of throwing five wild pitches in one inning in a playoff game, he's a guy that just is aiming a little bit. He's leading with his elbow, and it's one of those deals of the old – we talked about Chris Keene a while ago being a Little League coach. It's almost like your 12-year-old Little League coach walking out to the mound and say, hey, listen, don't aim it, just throw it. And I think that's a little bit to to oversimplify – about K.J. Costello, I think he's thinking a little bit too much, not only about where to throw it to, but I think he's just trying to to fit something in there and try to guide the ball instead of just throwing it.
0: And how important is it for Mississippi State to get off to a good start offensively? You go back, so much of what you're dealing with right now, I think, comes down to some fundamentals up front and blocking. And There's just a lot of confidence aspect to it right now, and the only way you get that is to go out and have some success. I mean, you don't want to be the equivalent of, say, the Atlanta Braves who gave up a major league record eleven runs in the first inning last night and embarrassed the National League. You want to be, uh, you want to get off to that uh, good start. What was the final of that game? Like fifteen to two? I lost count. I better be careful. My Braves friends will be quickly pounding my telephone with all their hashtag for the A mess. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like the Dodgers either. So, I, I've, got no,
1: I've got no skin in this game. Hunter Renfro made a great catch the other night for the Rays. Talk about a team that's fun to see lose. That's the Astros.
0: Oh, boy, that's been great. Back to Texas A&M and Mississippi State. Charlie, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're trying to avoid football at all costs today, and that's unfair. Uh, look, here's what I'd go back to. We have seen plenty of instances over the years where Texas A&M, by all accounts, seemed like the better team coming in and Mississippi State won. The thing that's tough to get your head around, though, is the last time Mississippi State was really struggling and A&M came in, it was Nick Fitzgerald running the football that gave you the big advantage. You're not going to do that, and that's not our style. It's not our scheme, and it doesn't matter how much we say, hey, let's run the football. That's not what we're built to do. So it goes back to how do you then have a big day? I think you nailed it. You've got to get some confidence offensively, and you've got to – just let it go, and that gets hard to do when you throw interceptions. It's just harder to let the football go. And what kind of leads me to that thought as far as
1: just throwing it and being a little bit uh, just more relaxed. It's hard to do that when you're, when you're struggling, especially in your own mind. I look back to Luke Falk and go back. That was a great interview earlier in the show. Luke Falk in his last three years at Washington State in this offense, average – 10 yards per completion. Last week against Kentucky, we were between five and a half and six yards per completion, and that was with both quarterbacks, K.J. Costello and Will Rogers. What that tells me is is when you lack confidence, you're going to go underneath quicker, and so it makes that job more difficult. It turns a 10-play drive into a 15-play drive, and then – the margin for error is a little bit thinner. Kentucky, you look at that interception that went the other way the other day. It was just a great job by Pascal of scouting. He realized real quick that it was going to be a screen to the right side, and he got out there and made the play. Things like that are going to happen. Guys are going to jump routes, and if you can score on the fewer amount of plays, the better you are, of course. That's the obvious. But right now, instead of us having to go you know, 8 to 10 plays, we're having to go 15 to 17 plays, and it just brings up the propensity of making mistakes.
0: Yeah, the longer you have to hold the football, the, the worse it is on your offense. Boy, I hate to use this word, but if you don't go back to the explosive plays, you're going to have to have some. But to do that, you have to have some confidence. You've got to have some time. And I'll go back to this, too. I would also – one of the things I thought was really interesting that Luke Falk told us, I kind of thought our quarterbacks were being coached into don't run the football. He didn't present that picture from his experience with Mike Leach. And so it takes me back to now and then your quarterback, when things break down, have just got to pull it down and run a little bit. For us to win this game this week,
1: to turn it around and get it going, what are a couple of things we've got to do differently – To make it happen.
0: Your defense is going to have to play the best it's played all season because you're going to have a more complete offense in Texas A&M, a more explosive offense, and you're going to have to deal with a running back at a level that you haven't had to do yet. You're going to have to deal with the most experienced quarterback. So defense, as good as they've been and as much as we bragged on them, they're going to have to be better. You cannot afford the bust in the secondary that we've seen a couple of times this year, or you will get ripped apart.
1: And that was kind of the backbreaking thing against Arkansas, is you played well 80% of the time, but the blown coverages show up. That's what the points come at, and that's where you get the points if you're Texas A&M, and so those are big. It's not giving up that big play on third down and 10 when you've done a really good job leading up to that point.
0: And I think the next thing is, as simple as this sounds, you just have to get off to a good start offensively. This is an offense that needs some confidence. We know they can catch. We know they can block. We know they can throw. We've seen them do it. Just hadn't seen it very much the past two weeks. Well, let me take that back. Let's go back to Arkansas. We moved the football pretty well. We just had mistakes that blew up the drives. We just need to come out and throw some strikes and put some points on the board early.
1: I go back to my point a minute ago when it's taking 15 plays to drive the field. If you have a hiccup, like a bad snap, and it puts you behind the change, oh,
0: we saw that last week, didn't we? This tough you get Stuff into to make plus up. territory. You feel like you're on the move, and all of a sudden, there's a bad snap, and that's a great example too of why this isn't just a quarterback issue. You know, that's just such the simple analysis for people to say, well, we got to change the quarterbacks. You know, unless he's seven feet tall on that particular play, it doesn't help you. So, Mississippi State,
1: Texas A&M, three o'clock on Saturday. Hopefully we'll be back Sunday. Have a little Sunday coffee for feeling a little bit better. I didn't think anything positive could come out of Sunday. I didn't sleep good enough to, to have any any good thoughts this past Sunday. So once again, appreciate our fine folks at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Your Canon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. Bullseye barbecue sauce. And then the country-pleasing sausage, country-pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi, without doubt the best sausage known to man. So that'll do it for this week. You've been listening to Idle Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.